Hi, my name is Captain Morgan DeWicke. Welcome to Maritime Matters. Uh, it is an honor to have here with me today um, a gentleman referred to in my household as Uncle Vince. Uh, Vince is the eighth Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, now retired. Uh, he's the Chairman of the Board of Trustees at NMI and is an inductee into the Michigan Veterans Hall of Fame. How are you doing, Uncle Vince? Hey, I'm doing fine. How, how are you doing, nephew? <laughs> <laughs> doing well. Even better chatting with you today. So excited well, thank to you for having you. me. You know, I, I, I got a million stories, so just wind me up and let me go. Yep, yep. That's what I figured. So I think this will be fun. So why don't we get started uh, talking about your background with the Coast Guard and uh, I think your your introductory story into how you got into the Coast Guard is is probably one of the funniest I've ever heard. So I'll let you get going. Well, okay. I'll, first of all, I'll start with about uh, what I did in the Coast Guard. I'll start with that because uh, my my rank is uh, is a mouthful, uh, uh, Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, and what that means is each of the military services has. Uh, one very senior ranking enlisted person, just like they have a very senior ranking officer. Uh, the Army has the Sergeant Major of the Army. Uh, the Navy has the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy. Uh, the Air Force has the Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force. And the Marine Corps has the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. And, of course, of course, the Coast Guard has Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard. So these positions were all created uh, back in 1967, uh, although the Coast Guard didn't start its its uh, its first Master Chief of the Coast Guard until '69, and this was as a result of during the Vietnam War, uh, Congress uh, uh, authorized the creation of these senior ranks to be uh, uh, sort of parallel to the, uh, the 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 senior officer of the service. And the reason why they wanted that was that the morale was bad. The Vietnam War wasn't wasn't going as well as from a morale standpoint, you know, uh, uh, and Congress was very concerned about that because they were getting all kinds of pretty bad stories and felt that the uh, service chiefs uh, were not as in tune with their people as they said they were. So, so these positions were created by Congress, and uh, and it's and it's it's a pretty awesome position. Uh, uh, you you uh, you're selected by the service chief. Uh, you do have to go through a a very very serious vetting process. Uh, both were uh, you have to get a White House security clearance. Uh, uh, the Senate and the House Armed Services Committee also review you as the candidate and so forth, just like they do their their uh, uh, their service chiefs, their bosses. And for the Coast Guard, our service chief is the commandant of the Coast Guard. So uh, that's what those positions are. And, and, and the fact that I have a number in front of me is I'm the eighth Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard uh, right now. Uh, the number is 13. Uh, um, so every four years, a new master chief comes in, and so you get that new number. Uh, for the Coast Guard, we've had uh, one year where we had uh, one master chief serve five years, and the reason for that was when we started with the master chief at the Coast Guard position, that person was picked uh, and served one year with the current commandant, and then a new commandant came in, and, and so that new commandant didn't pick that person, but they carried on. So by the time they got to the fourth Master Chief of the Coast Guard, uh, the commandant at that time says, hey, look, he told the guy who was the Master Chief of the Coast Guard at that time, said, look, I need you to serve another year uh, because that way when I leave, you leave with me, and then the new commandant will pick you. So that's how the numbers are, go are going that way. And each, num each service 
is different as far as the numbers go because this, uh, the other services, some of their senior enlisted persons serve uh, two years or three years depending on the service connects and so forth. So our numbers are very different. So when I was the eighth mass chief of the Coast Guard, the sergeant major of the Army was the, uh, the 14th. Uh, the sergeant major of the Marine Corps was the uh, 12th, I think it was 12th or 13th. Maybe I got the numbers all wrong. Anyway, numbers were very different in each of the other services. So, so we didn't quite correspond with, you know, as the eighth mass chief of the Coast Guard, there wasn't an eighth master chief of the Navy at the same time. So that's kind of how those positions all came into being. So that said, uh, uh, about myself, and this, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, I was uh, recently inducted into the, uh, the State of Michigan uh, uh, Veterans Hall of Fame and uh, uh, Hall of Honors, they really call it that, but they call it Hall of Fame too. And, and that's because I'm from Michigan, uh, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, uh, uh, from a large family, fifth child, third son out of 10. Uh, so uh, we, we had a pretty, pretty big, big family. Grew up in uh, inner city Detroit. Uh, and as the case in uh, growing up in the late 50s and the 60s and so forth, it was a very different time then, uh, particularly with the fact that uh, uh, how, how uh, uh, the social culture was, particularly as it related to a, a young African-American as myself. And, and to be put into situations where, uh, oftentimes that uh, I was always told as a child of what I could be and what I couldn't be mostly because of the color of my skin. And, and, and this occurred not just from, from whites, but from, from even my fellow black Americans because of the way how the culture was. It, you know, there is no way you can do these kinds of things because it just isn't going to be that way. Uh, and it was just kind of a strange uh, upbringing at that time. But uh, I watched my oldest brother, who uh, who's eight years older than I am, uh, that sort of started breaking the mold. He uh, he started doing all kinds of things uh, that uh, that I, I say even to this day uh, he remains as as my uh, my mentor, my my best mentor that I've ever had. Uh, he went into Boy Scouts, became an Eagle Scout. I wanted to be an Eagle Scout. You know, he went to a, uh, back then, uh, although today they call them magnet schools or schools of, of higher learning compared to other public schools, uh, he got into one of those schools and I wanted to go to one of those schools. So that meant I had to do well in school. I had to get my grades up. But he was my motivation and helped me to do those kinds of things. So anyway, um, when he graduated from high school uh, at the age of 18, and I'm 10 years old at the time, uh, actually not quite 10 years old at the time, he, uh, he chose the opportunity to go into the Navy. And the reason why, because of a large family, he wanted to go to college. And uh, there was just no way my family was going to be able to afford uh, him going to college. Uh, he did get a couple of scholarship offers, but it just was not enough uh, to feel that he was going to be able to go to college and work at the same time. So he, he decided to go into the military. He decided to go into the Navy. He chose the Navy specifically because, uh, you know, Vietnam War was just starting up and, you know, he wasn't quite interested in wanting to, to uh, go dig in dirts and things like that. But uh, he was excited about what the Navy was all about. So he went into the Navy and, um, and, and actually did exceptionally well during his time in the Navy. Uh, he rose through the ranks. Uh, uh, Navy sent him to, to college. 
He went off to Kennedy School. In fact, he retired as a captain in 06 uh, after 30 years of, of service in the Navy. So, so as I'm watching his career, uh, being that we're eight years apart, I'm really being a part of it and seeing things, how it was working for him. So, so guess what I wanted to do? I wanted to be just like my brother. Uh, what Brother Greg did, I was going to follow. And that included I was going to go in the Navy. I was going to work my way and go to college while I was in the Navy. And I was going to be just like him. Uh, I'm not so sure if I ever thought I wanted to be the Master Chief of the Navy at that time, but I certainly wanted to do whatever my brother Greg did. So uh, that's all I wanted to do. And uh, so, like I said, from age 10 to actually age 17, when I became a senior in high school, that's all I talked about. That's all I wanted to do. Uh, my bedroom was plastered with Go Navy, Fly Navy. Uh, you know, the statutes of limitations have run out, so I could, I could admit that I stole a bunch of signs in front of the, the recruiting offices about the Navy <laughs> and put them up there. So, but that's all I, and everybody knew I was going to the Navy. I, I mean, when I was 14, when I was 15, everybody knew I was going to the Navy. When I was in the Boy Scouts and, and I was also in the Sea Cadet program, they all knew I was going into the Navy. So, um, so on my 17th birthday as a senior in high school, uh, my parents, being that this is all I want to do, they told me, they gave me the best birthday present that I could have ever wanted that they were going to sign to allow me to go into the enlist, the delayed enlistment program, which means if you're a senior in high school and you're at least 17 years old and your parents signed for you, you can enlist. And then after you finish high school, off to the service you go. So that's what I was going to do. So uh, I was excited when I knew that was going to happen. So uh, the day after my 17th birthday, because my birthday fell on a Sunday, uh, that Monday after I got out of school, I ran down to the uh, federal building in downtown Detroit, Michigan. And there was a long, narrow hallway where all the recruiters were. And I saw this guy in a Navy uniform, blue Navy uniform, at his desk on a telephone. And I made a beeline for that office to go sign up for the Navy. Now, my father went down to the Navy recruiting office that Friday, got all the paperwork, told the Navy recruiters that I was coming in on Monday and say, listen, you don't have to tell this kid anything about the Navy. He knows more about the Navy than you will ever know. And I did because uh, uh, there were something like 450 ships in the Navy back then. I memorized the name of every one of them. You gave me the whole number of a ship. I could tell you what kind of ship it was. Wow. I could tell you where it was home ported. I could tell you how many people were on it. I knew everything about the Navy. Uh, so, and anyway, long story short is all I had to do was go in, fill out the paperwork, set up for physical, and I was in. Uh, I even took my test because I was in the Sea Cadet program. I was allowed to take my uh, my battery test, which, which qualifies you to go into the Navy. I had already done that. So I didn't have to do anything except go in and fill out the paperwork and Schedule for my physical, and that was it. So anyway, I go into the recruiting office, and uh, the recruiter is on the phone. He says, have a seat. I'll be right with you. And uh, just before I get ready to sit down, I look at the pictures on the wall. And, uh, you know, Navy ships are gray. Well, these ships were all white, and they said Coast Guard. I walked into the wrong recruiting office. 
See, back then, the Coast Guard uniform was exactly the same as the Navy uniform, with the exception of the hats. And then on the right sleeve, there was a, uh, a, uh, a shield, which uh, the Coast Guard still has today. But I didn't pay attention to the guy's shield on his right sleeve. Uh, I just saw him in a blue Navy uniform, and that was it. I didn't even look at the door. The door said Coast Guard, as big as day. I just zeroed in on that guy in his, in his blue Cracker Jack Navy uniform, and that was it. So, so I'm in the wrong recruiting office. I'm, uh, I'm embarrassed. Uh, you know, I'm one day over 17. I didn't want him to think I could make that kind of mistake. So I decided I wasn't going to walk out. I was going to wait till he gets off the phone uh, and then talk to me, and then I'll go find a Navy recruiter. So while he's on the phone and he's talking to somebody, I nervously walk around the office and I start looking at the pictures on the wall. And they were some very exciting pictures. A picture of a, of, a, of a Coast Guard rescue boat pretty much dancing out of the water. I mean, really just popping right out of the water. And that was pretty cool. And then there was a picture of a, a Coast Guard icebreaker in the South Pole uh, and, a, and a penguin standing next to the breaker and I said, that's pretty cool. You know, I'm looking at all this. And, and then there, there's just all kinds of just real exciting, adventurous pictures about the Coast Guard. And then I come across a, uh, a unit citation, which, uh, which when, when, uh, when someone at a unit, an entire unit does very well, uh, everyone gets an award. It's called a unit commendation. So one of the recruiters in that office uh, received a unit commendation and the citation was hanging up. So I started reading it, and it read like a novel. It was a, it was a rescue that uh, this recruiter who was stationed on the, the particular ship that was involved in the rescue was in. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, uh, Disney made a movie out of it. Uh, it's called The Finest Hours, which was a story of the, uh, of the motor vessel Pendleton and the motor vessel Fort Mercer, uh, this this happened in the 50s uh, that were involved in a nor'easter. And, and again, it turned out to be one of the greatest rescues of all time for the Coast Guard. So after reading that, I looked at it and I said, wow. So when I said, wow, the recruiter stopped his call, looked up at me, and he said, I guarantee you'll have one of those in your first four years in the Coast Guard. And that's it. That's how I ended up in the Coast Guard. <laughs> <laughs> oh the poor I, navy poor navy lost out huh big time <laughs> it's a true story I mean, I mean you know imagine you know I'm, you know seven years of just being just ingrained with the navy and all those things about the navy all it took was that unit citation and i was hooked i was in that was that was it so uh so that's how i ended up in the coast guard <laughs> Wow. Wow. I love that story. Every time I hear it, there's, there's always another, you know, piece to it. And just having this whole picture into how you got in is so hilarious because <laughs> you, you ended up at the highest enlisted rank and uh, truly had an yeah. incredible career. And to have had it start there is, is truly funny. Um, and, and, you know, and, and the story goes on beyond that because, uh, you know, of course, when I went home, and, uh, you know, my, my father was worried about me because he called the recruiting office, the Navy recruiting office, looking for me. I wanted to know if I had come down there. And they told him, no, he never showed up. 
And here I come walking in the door and I've got all this uh, Coast Guard literature. And and I thought he'd be just as excited about that, too. I really did because, you know, hey, I'm going in the military. Uh, you know, I am now one less mouth to feed in the household here. And, you know, hey, if you were all behind me about going in the Navy, you would be all behind me about going in the Coast Guard. Well, as it turned out, he wasn't happy about it. And, uh, and he wasn't happy about it. Uh, because as I started my story and I was telling you about uh, some of the challenges, particularly that uh, African-Americans faced uh, in the 50s and 60s and so forth, you know, this was an issue. And and his concern was I was going into a military service that uh, was pretty well known that there weren't very many minorities mm-hmm. in, uh, particularly African-Americans as well. Still an issue to this you day. Know- Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he knew that and he knew that. And uh, but he was very worried because not as much as there weren't very many minorities in the Coast Guard. It was where I could be stationed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he rattled off states, Oregon, uh, Massachusetts, Maine, uh, you know, uh, parts of Michigan. He says, you're going to go to places where or you're probably going to be the only black person in town. And you need to think about that. You need to give this some thought that, you know, maybe the Coast Guard's got all kinds of neat things and so forth. But, uh, you know, you could find yourself uh, in in a real uh, challenging situation being stationed somewhere in an area that will not accept you. And uh, and I gave it some thought. But then my mother, uh, she jumped in and said, listen, and she told my father, listen, you know, things will never change unless we all become part of the change. And and she said, we should be encouraging him versus telling him what he can't do because of the color of his skin. So, so, uh, so she was very uh, forceful about that, which, uh, which renewed my interest of going into the Coast Guard and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and, and she was right. I mean, that, that it was not going to change unless I became part of that change. And, and I found it over the course of my 30 years, and early on and so forth, that I did an awful lot of things that was part of that change, mm-hmm. including uh, becoming the first African-American to reach the rank of Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard. So uh, it's uh, it was a it was a wonderful learning experience from as a child and taking that learning experience and putting it into applicable use during my time uh, early on in the Coast Guard, because I did face those challenges that my dad right. worried about. Uh, but I also had, uh, um, I, I will also tell you that it wasn't as bad as it could have been because what I also had in the Coast Guard were a lot of people who not only stood behind me, but believed in me. Mm-hmm. And uh, going back to uh, one of my stories I tell is I was in radioman school, uh, communication school out in Northern California, about 50 miles north of San Francisco. And it's out in uh, out in nowhere land, Petaluma, California, and uh, uh, it's a six month school. And I'm uh, with a bunch of guys, and we we get off the base to go into town to go watch a movie and and have dinner because you know getting off the base was was a big thing, you know, especially when you're a student, you can only get off the base on the weekends, and uh, and provided your grades were good. So uh, we get off one weekend and. Um, we uh, we uh, there's a, a a Liberty bus we call it that takes you into town, which is about ten miles away from the base, and uh, we go up we go do our thing, and then we head 
heading back and we go to the, the little bus stop that you wait for the Liberty bus that comes back. Sometimes the locals in the area would actually drive you back to the base because uh, they're going back that way. So anyway, car pulls up. A uh, lady says, you guys going to the base? There were, there were four of us. And we said, yes, we are. And so she said, well, I'm going right by there. I can drop you off. And we said, oh, great. So we start getting into the car. And then as I get ready to get in the car, she says, I can't go. <laughs> uh, that you know, Not exactly in those words, but you yeah, can yeah. probably... And said, and uh, I, of course I stopped, and but then my three friends that got in the car, they all got out, and mm -hmm. they told her, "He's not going, we're not," you know, and you know, so so I I had an experience like that to where my my fellow crew members, my shipmates, uh, stood stood with me, and 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 I had more situations like that that happened later on in my career. But uh, one thing I could tell you that's. Um, also sticks in my head about my career was, uh, you know, as I had this whole f idea about what I wanted to do in the Navy and so forth. And now all of a sudden I'm going into a service, you know, I can't follow my brother Greg anymore. And uh, in fact, it was my mother's term that she said to me that going into the wrong recruiting office was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I had walked in my brother's footsteps long enough and it was time for me to walk in my own. So, uh, so as I was uh, in boot camp, uh, two weeks, uh, two weeks in boot camp. You know, boot camp was uh, ten weeks back then. I'm in my second week of boot camp. That I make this bold, ridiculous proclamation that I wanted to become the master chief petty officer of the Coast Guard. Well, after I learned what that rank was, and what happened was there was a big giant picture of the master chief petty officer of the Coast Guard that was hanging in the barracks. I mean, it looked like, you know, this guy must be God. I mean, spotlights on him and, you know, you know, it was a big, giant picture. So it was kind of a mystery because we would look at him and, you know, we'd say, oh, all right, who's this guy? And uh, and his rank looked very different because a a regular master chief has two stars uh, on his on his uh, on his rank. Well, this guy had three stars. And I immediately go to my book because the Navy ranks are the same as the Coast Guard ranks. And I didn't know anything about a rank with a, with a Master Chief with three stars. At least it looked like a Master Chief, but I wasn't sure. So I pull out the book. I look in it, and I can't find the rank. And this is why, partly because the rank was still fairly new. I mean, this was 1972. And as I said to you, the Coast Guard didn't start taking the Master Chief positions until uh, Master Chief of the Coast Guard positions until 1969. So my book was probably printed before the Master Chief of the Coast Guard position came out. So because I see this book, I uh, and I see I don't see the rank. I go to my drill instructor, which we call our company commanders, and I innocently ask, uh, "There's this picture of I think he's a Master Chief. He's got three stars. Who is he?" And, uh, you know, and if you think about from looking at TV or so forth about people who go through basic training or boot camp and so forth, you know, that, you know, your drill instructor uh, isn't really the nicest person that, that that allows you to talk to them like that. So so needless to say, I, I, I got a very uh, snide barking response back uh, in my face, probably about maybe about an inch. And he gets into my face and he says, 
that's the Master Chief Petty Officer, the Coast Guard. And I said, oh, right, you know. So, uh, so I asked, well, what does he do? And my, my drill instructor says, he tells the Commandant what to do. So I thought that was the coolest job in the Coast Guard. So guess what Seaman Recruit Patton wanted to do? He wanted to be Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard. <laughs> And I, I, uh, I, I didn't tell people this right away until in our seventh week of boot camp. This is when they actually sat you down and says, because they figured you're going to graduate, now we know what kind of uh, scores you have. We could talk to you about what kind of specialty you can go into and so forth. So they're going over these schools and specialties with me. And Seaman Recruit Patton asked another innocent question. What school do I go to to become the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard? Well, my career counselor thought I was being a smart ass, and he tells my company commander, who thought I was being a smart ass, and he marches me out to the middle of the parade field and makes me do 50 push-ups. Now, this is, uh, this is like late July, early August, so in Cape May, New Jersey, which is pretty hot at that time, so getting down doing 50 push-ups was uh, was it was easy in the sense that I was conditioned to do it because of yep. seven weeks of boot camp. That wasn't bad, but it's like 90-something degrees out there while I'm doing this. And I did my push-ups, snapped back to attention when I got done. And my uh, company commander gets into my face and says, the day you become the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, that's the day I'll walk on clouds. Well, he was so right because he died two years before I became Master Chief <laughs> Too funny. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. That was my that was my goal in yep. boot camp that I want to be master chief of the Coast Guard. Now, it's not that easy. You just can't proclaim you're going to do it and then just kind of work your way through the system and then all of a sudden when the time comes, okay, hey, I asked to become master chief of the Coast Guard. I'm in. It's it's a lot more than that. It's about your career, about things and what you do. And and as I started getting people who who, who took me seriously and mentored me. And, uh, and and that's what started me on a lot of other roads in the course of my career, particularly with going to school. I mean, I, I went off, I started off in my specialty in, in communications. And uh, and then that kind of rolled into me doing um, uh, personnel and training. I got involved with doing training. I, I, I was going to school on my own. I, I earned my bachelor's degree on my own. I earned my master's degree on my own. You know, and uh, so all these things were all working to my favor because I was driven not just by a goal, a goal that in reality, uh, chances of becoming Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard is one in 362. Mm-hmm. That's how many other Master Chiefs that are considered for that position. Right. Uh, so you got to look at what your career is and what the things that what you what you want to do. So uh, so one of the things that happened for me in the course of my career was um, being noticed and being noticed in terms of the jobs that I was doing. And I was on recruiting duty in Chicago uh, some years later, and um, and I got very very involved with uh, working with uh, the inner city youth of Chicago. And part of the reason why I did that was uh, when Actually, I didn't want to go on recruiting duty. I was sort of directed on recruiting duty because the Coast Guard began to get very serious with uh, minority recruiting, with getting more 
minorities into the Coast Guard. And when they looked around, they realized that uh, out of some 250 or so recruiters, uh, they only had like a dozen uh, African-American recruiters, and that was it. So yeah, I was a select and direct. I was having fun. I was stationed at a at uh, at an air station. In fact, I was stationed in my hometown in Detroit uh, at Coast Guard Air Station Detroit, and I was uh, doing well and enjoying the job and you know getting involved with rescue cases and stuff like that and come to work one morning, and, and my chief says, you're going on recruiting duty. I said, well, I never asked to go on recruiting duty. He said, well, we know that, but Coast Guard sent you on recruiting duty, and they shipped me off to Chicago. So as I was there, I, uh, I got involved with, uh, with working with uh, inner-city youth programs, partly because of the fact that, uh, I, I mean, I was at a, in a losing case because I'm, here I am recruiting in the south side of Chicago where the, um, the uh, high school dropout rate was higher than the high school graduation rate. It, wow. This was wow. late and it, it was. It was, I think there was like a, a, a 55 to 60% dropout rate, you know. So this is my pool of candidates that I have to work on to try to get into the Coast Guard. Uh, uh, and, uh, and I was having trouble, obviously. Uh, so uh, Loyola University in Chicago was, was, uh, had set up a program where they were working with, uh, with, with youths in the inner city to help them on their, on their, uh, their scores to be able to graduate from high school. So I got involved with it, and then that led me into working on a master's program at, at Loyola uh, on my own. And in fact, the Coast Guard kind of let me off a lot of times, too, because the benefit that came out of that was a lot of these people that were in this program, uh, I ended up getting to join the Coast Guard. So they saw a big benefit out of it, and it made the Coast Guard look really good to see their recruiter was out there doing things in the community and so forth. Right, so right. that worked out pretty well. So it, it got me noticed to the point of where the um, I was uh, 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 at an event. Actually, I drove an admiral to an event. Uh, he was from Cleveland, and he flew into Chicago to go attend an event. And uh, my boss, who was head of recruiting, uh, was in the car with us, and he proudly told the admiral that uh, uh, Petty Officer Patton is working on his master's degree. And the admiral says, Really? I says, yes, sir. So the admiral says, well, uh, you're going to you're going to become an officer. You're going to officer candidate school. And I said, no, sir. He says, well, why not? And I told him. And I, at this time, I had uh, this was 1978, 78 or 79, at the time. And I told him, I want to be mass chief of the Coast Guard. <laughs> and uh, uh, he got quiet and never said a word after that. So my uh, my boss, the chief, uh, told me after, he said, look, I believe in you. A lot of people believe in you, but there are some people that don't. And I think that Admiral thinks you were being a smart ass. So <laughs> don't, don't tell people that. You know, just tell them something. Just don't tell them that. Well, it's, it's a unique so, route. It's, it is. It's this it notion is. that you didn't even consider going into the sort of the officer program um, is very unique. Exactly. And, and most people, they go in, they have a goal if, if they enlist that eventually they want to attain an officer's rank. And, um, exactly, exactly. So you know, and, and why, yeah, and, and why wouldn't I? Because at the same time, the Coast Guard was dying for African-American officers too. So I'm, right. you know, I mean, that was a good catch, no matter how you slice it. So, I mean, I understood that. I mean, you know, I got it. But uh, so anyway, let's fast forward a few years after that. 
I get transferred, come off recruiting duty, and I get transferred to Cleveland, uh, Ohio, which is the uh, Great Lakes uh, Regional Headquarters, uh, the district office there. And uh, and I wasn't there longer than nine, maybe ten months at the most. And uh, I come into I come into work one morning. I was working in the personnel office, and uh, the uh, my my commander calls me into his office, and he says, uh, "Patton, uh, have a seat at my desk." And that's, at this time, I was a I was a first class petty officer at the time, which is uh, pay grade E six. Okay, and. Uh, I okay, you know, he says, well, have a seat at my desk, you know. <laughs> he says, you're going to get a phone call from a uh, from somebody in headquarters that wants to talk to you. And I thought, wow, somebody from headquarters wants to talk to me. Who could that be, you know? And he said, oh, you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I said, yes. Phone rings. He says, that's for you. Answer it. So I answer it. And the guy on the other end of the phone is the commandant of the Coast Guard. Wow. Wow. This this guy who's a commandant of the Coast Guard, he was that admiral that I had met a few years ago, and back then he was the he was the Great Lakes District Commander. Okay. Uh, he became the commandant of the Coast Guard. So he says, "Are you the Patton I met in Chicago a few years ago?" And I says, "Yes, sir." He said, "Well, did you ever get your master's degree?" I says, "Yes, sir." He said, "Oh, good." He says, "Well, you still want to be master chief of the Coast Guard someday?" And I says, "Yes, sir." He said, well, good. He says, uh, well, then I got a job for you that I think that might help you. And a job? He says, yeah. He says, uh, we're looking at changing our our enlisted performance evaluation system as well as the officer performance evaluation system. And we're going to select two people, one for the officer system and one for the enlisted system, and send you to school to work on your doctorate. And your dissertation is the development of the evaluation system. I said, wow. He says, well, are you interested? I said, yes, sir. So uh, <laughs> flew me to Washington, and I had the interview, and then uh, then I got accepted into American University where uh, where I worked on my doctorate. And, uh, and of course, uh, uh, the results of that was developing the, uh, uh, the enlisted performance evaluation system, which is still in use today. It's been over 30 years since that happened. It's wow. still in use today. The, they picked the right and, guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So you know, this is one of those things. Like you know, when you, you if you if you work with good people and good people mentor you, uh, you will excel. And I think that's the other part of the story of telling you just how how that success came out for me. Uh, you know, there are people who say, "Well." Yeah, because but they look at the people who stood behind me and helped me and worked with me throughout the course of my career, and as a result, I'm very happy. Well, I think what's so unique about your story compared to most people's stories is you, you had these sort of big moments in life that you can pinpoint that directed you. And I'm not sure many of us can say we have those moments to where we say, okay, and it hits you like a ton of bricks. And it, it seems like throughout the course of going into that Coast Guard recruiter's office and saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to do this. And seeing that painting on the wall and saying, okay, I'm going to do this. And that's been your trajectory 
And it's just so fascinating because I'm not sure I can say I've had a moment in my life yet where something's hit me like a ton of bricks. And it seems like you had a lot of those moments early on. Um, it sort of set you on your path. So, Well, and, I, and again, I, I think I owe a lot of that uh, and a lot of my story really to my oldest brother because I watched him on his trajectory path. And, and I watched him on how he... He decided there were no boundaries of anything that he wanted to do and achieve, and uh, and I and I took that same feeling, same view, and uh, was never afraid to ask anyone, uh, you know, for help. Uh, I never, you know, always felt that I was never going to do anything by myself, and and I think that's what helped me, uh, you know, and and that's and that's really the story that I I pass on to everybody else is that you know. Uh, my success was never on my own. I, I will never stand in front of anybody and say, I did this and this and this by myself. I never, ever, ever did on my own. Ranging all the way from just the time that I, I, I came in the Coast Guard to even after retirement and the, and the things of what I do. It's, it's all this cast of thousands of people who have been helpful and has helped me along the way. Right. right. And that rank of Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard does come um, with a lot of responsibility. And I think in, in my eyes at the very least is it's the responsibility to inspire and it's the responsibility to give people hope and to build them up. And it's some, it's a responsibility you even carry with you now that you're retired. Um, having had that rank, it's, it's something that you use to bring forth to people and, and really give them some hope and some inspiration. So I think, um, and I will tell you, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a hard job, it's, you know, just because you make it to the top, you can't just sit in a chair and uh, say, okay, I'm here, and that's it. Exactly. Because during the course of my tenure, I, I, I endured quite a bit. You know, 9-11 happened, uh, I mean, which, which really uh, laid a great deal on the shoulders of the Coast Guard. And I had to be out there pushing uh, my folks and the officers and enlisted in terms of uh, helping them and getting them to do their job. Uh, you know, the uh, uh, some of the uh, dramatic rescues that we were involved with that, that were very traumatic to our people. Mm -hmm. uh, like, for example, a, uh, a crash of an airline off Long Island uh, that happened in uh, 2000, I believe it was, sometime in there, and uh, which our people got involved with on that. Uh, 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 the John F. Kennedy uh, uh, Jr. Uh, 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 disaster that happened there. You know, I, I had to be there for my people. I had to be there to rally around them and rally them to, to get themselves together. Because one right. of the things people don't think about, particularly with the job in the Coast Guard, you know, you, you, you read about uh, or see all of the, the heroic, dramatic things that they do, that on the other, you know, the other end of that, uh, there lies a person that uh, – that has had some very traumatic feelings of what occurred to them. We got to give them that hope of being able to carry on and do the things that they could do. Not every rescue is successful. Right. Uh, I learned that very early on in my career that uh, I was all excited about my very first rescue case I went out on and two people died. Mm -hmm. And and that I, I felt I was, you know, although I didn't have any cause to be what happened to that, nonetheless, I was part of that operation that of those two people that died, that I was part of that failure. And, uh, and, it, and it took uh, people around me to remind me of this, the fact that, no, that's not how it works and so forth. But we have to deal with that mm -hmm. with our people in the Coast Guard today. Right. 
So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Um, we're going to have to do this many more times because your stories are endless and you've got so many more. Um, but <laughs> it's been a true pleasure chatting with Uncle Vince. And I hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. And uh, we'll have to connect I'm soon. I'm doing that as well. So. All righty. Well, listen, uh, my best to the family and to everybody out there. Thank you for having me here. I, I look forward to coming back. And you're right. I got a million stories. And thank you for your role as chairman of the board of trustees at NMI. You take good care of this place. So. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right. Be well. Right. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye now. All right.